Rapping mimosa, these bars in the holster. Pouring up a drink, put my name on the poster. Women who can rap make you come a little closer. Step out the whip, drop a tip to my chauffeur. New guest on my list, champagne's by my hips. It's time to get lit. Y'all know what it is. It's time to rap, 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 rap and mimosas. Hey y'all, I got the afro, afro in today. Oh, I see seven people. Guys, today, ooh, let me. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. All right. Robin, I'm about to bring you on now, okay? I just had a few little technical glitches I had to get together. All right, so guys, I am about to bring on Okay, another goat. Last week I had Shelly the goat. This weekend I have Robin the goat. Okay, these women are goats because they are just so freaking knowledgeable. Okay, about content on content on content when it comes to mental health. Okay, and today in particular we're going to talk about childhood trauma. Okay, hey y'all. All right, today in particular, we're gonna talk about childhood trauma. We're gonna talk about addressing childhood trauma. We're gonna talk about as adults, how this affects us. We're gonna talk about as parents, if you are a parent, if you know a parent, you know certain tips that can be utilized. And of course, we're gonna rap, okay? Do not judge me. Remember, uh, I'm not drinking today. I, I'm not gonna show what I'm drinking. It is a seltzer with 5%. I'm not drinking my mimosas. Uh, it was a long weekend. You know, my birthday just passed. <laughs> all right. So with that being said, all right, I'm going to bring on the goat, Miss Robin. All right. So I want y'all to give it up for us to come on. And remember, please send this out to all your friends. <laughs> there she is. Girl, you're funny. <laughs> you're funny. Oh. Thank you. Thank you for all the accolades. Yes. Yeah, thank you for achieving them. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. I I want I do want to make this clarification. First of all, I got a drink. A little rum punch. Okay. My um, hard seltzer. Okay. You need a little bubbly to continue to recover from your weekend. A little bubbly. Yes. Just a little bit. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Thank you. Happy belated birthday, little sister. Thank you. My phone would say low battery. Whatever. I'm about to plug it in. Um, I want to make a clarification. I am a board certified behavior analyst. And so in my experience, I have worked with a lot of children who've experienced trauma mm -hmm. and done a lot of training for parents and teachers and professionals on what those behaviors look like, what it shows up like in a certain space. So, um, excuse me, um, viewers, I have to find, but uh, yeah, so, so that's that. Okay, all right, all right, good. So just to give a disclaimer for everyone coming on, this of course is another great episode of Rapid Mimosas. I believe this is actually my ninth one, um, so I'm, yeah, I'm super happy. I'm super proud. You know, ninth, ninth one. That means I'm over two months into the podcast game. You know, learning as I go. 
And I'm super excited because for those of you who follow potentially um, my other, one of my other pages, Love Me Below, I know I have a million, right? I did actually have Robin on and we talked a lot. Matter of fact, it was one of like the most viewed, I want to say Yoni Poppin' Tuesdays I had. So many people had questions when it came to um, anything dealing with behavior, anything dealing with potentially in like what is trauma? How do we heal from trauma? So I'm super excited to have you on today because today we're gonna like pretty much redo that conversation. But I got some some new little nuggets that I have questions about because when I come on rapid mimosas, this is my time to be transparent, right, about myself because I feel like vulnerability is key and learn myself as well, but also be with my people. And of course, you know, this is rapid mimosas, so that means that we are going to rap at the end of this session i always get the disclaimer i am not a rap artist i'm not trying to get a record deal i'm not looking <laughs> for one i don't want one okay my guests thus far have not been rap artists okay however i might have one or two in the mix that's coming up you know in a couple episodes right but they're not rap artists so we just having fun we sipping some you know good drink okay we're gonna have a good time and we're going to share some great information. So be, with that being said, let me go ahead and play this real quick. Rapping mimosa, these bars in the holster. Pouring up with drink, put my name on the poster. Women who can rap, make you come a little closer. Step out the whip, drop a tip to my chauffeur. New guests on my list, champagne's by my hips. It's time to get lit. Yeah, I know what it is. It's time to rap, 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 before we get started, Robin, why don't you tell everybody who you are, what your full certifications and all your accolades are, because once again, you you are another GOAT in the game, another person that I look up to. Okay, so let the people know who you are, what you do, and then we're going to get started from here. Thank you and welcome to everyone that's coming in. If y'all have any questions as we're going through and we're talking about um, behavior, all right, please feel free to drop them in the chat, all right? Absolutely. Um, so my name is Robin Williams, and I certified analyst and an educator. I have been both for about 21 years now, and my experience has been primarily working with individuals who present challenging behaviors, and that can be, and can you hear me okay? I hear a little echo. It's a little, it's going out just a little bit, but okay. it's good. I'm sorry about that. Um, my experience has been with children and adults who live in a variety of settings that could be group home settings where I have seen the most trauma. Um, I've also worked in school settings. I've worked in private family homes. I currently hold a contract with the Department of Juvenile Justice. And so that is where I have seen some of the most um, challenging behaviors of individuals who've experienced trauma and it shows up in so many ways so my job as a behavior analyst is to try to understand what the cause is and what is the main what are the maintaining factors for these behaviors in an individual's life traditionally behavior analysis does not look at internalisms like things that psychologists might look at like oh he was thinking this we look at what are the environmental factors in, in this person's life that are causing things to happen. So what are the triggers? I know that, um, and I'm gonna be a little bit transparent with myself too, a show, as a child, I was molested. 
as a child by a family member. Um, actually, one in every four Black girls will be molested and sexually traumatized, most likely by a family member. And so just to break down what a behavior analyst would look like as opposed to a licensed therapist, this person smoked cigarettes. And so that scent, that odor of cigarettes was something as I grew and I was um, around other adult males, when I, whenever I would smell that cigarette smell, it was a trigger for mm -hmm. me. And I would engage in certain behaviors. Those behaviors might be trying to get away from that person, shutting down, not talking, closing my legs a little bit tighter, folding my arms in front of my body. So those are very objective things that happened as a result of that trigger. So I hope that that is not going too far. Um, thank you, Dungeon Forward. I'm, I'm healed. I moved on and I can talk about it. But um, I hope I didn't go too far in the conversation is what I'm no, saying. No, 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 no. This is a, this is definitely, like I said, it's a safe place. Um, thank you, Dungeon Forward, for, you know, commenting. Like, it's something I've, I've shared. And I honestly, just being transparent, I did not look at myself as someone who had survived sexual assault until recently um until someone else put it in a different perspective for me in like october november i had normalized uh the assault i had normalized the behavior that had been done to me by um a partner right as a matter of fact by more than one partner so it's one of those things where um it's something that i'm still learning to become accustomed with especially because it happened to me as an adult as a grown woman a lot of times you fault yourself or feel like, well, I shouldn't have put myself in that position. So it's definitely something I've talked about on this platform more than once, actually, at this point. And it's something that I'm still wrapping my mind around on a very day daily basis. Moment so, by moment. Moment by moment. So thank you for your full transparency. And even like looking at my actions um, that I do or have done, right? I have, you know, people pleasing tendencies at times, like my behavior, especially it, like, especially in relationships, you know, I want to be perfect. I want to get it right. I want to do this. I want to do that. So um, a lot of that is from certain things I experienced as a child, but also certain things that I felt or happened to me while I was in, you know, a relationship and being able to like actually admit that and acknowledge it and be able to like go into whenever I get into my next relationship, go into that knowing, you know, some of these triggers that I have. So no, I, I thank you and I respect your full transparency. Absolutely. Um, so what have got you, you? I'm sorry, I have a question for you. Since we're Ooh. talking about trauma and we're both um, survivors of it. Have you looked at what continued to maintain some of those behaviors for you too? Because I know for myself, very much a people pleaser, still mm -hmm. something I have to deal with as well. Mm -hmm. But some of that attention and affection that I received from other people, when I was able to look back at it, it was like, oh, that's why I continue to engage in certain behaviors. That's why I put myself out there and did things that maybe I didn't necessarily feel were genuinely me, but I was receiving a sense of feeling purposed and feeling acknowledged and feeling loved. Have you been able to tap into any of that? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> no, for me, um, I'm still tapping into it. I know for me, like when it comes to like the things I do with people pleasing, um, I'm just, 
and I still struggle with this idea of perfectionism because I don't want someone to leave me. Um, and this is in relationships. This is, and that's platonic as well as, you know, romantic. I struggle because I don't want to be left. I don't want, you know, the person I'm with. So if my partner wants X, Y, and Z, and I think, you know, or in the past, if I thought, oh, they're going to leave me, if I don't do X, Y, and Z, then I would just, whatever I had to do to give them that, I would sacrifice, you know, those parts of myself in order to give them that. So I think that that's something I've been looking at. I've been able to notice progress even in my last like relationship uh, or two, honestly, like I noticed I was putting up boundaries and I was sticking to my boundaries. Um, even if I was uncomfortable or thought that they might leave, I said, so what? You know, like, so like being able to like really keep myself you know at a place of i'm worthy and i i affirm myself daily but definitely the fear of, of abandonment like being left and thinking if someone walks out of my life that's i did something wrong what did i do what could i have done better how could i please them i wanted to please them so bad and um a lot of times it will be at the the detriment of my mental health or my financial health um or my spiritual health because i was willing to do whatever to keep them around even if they weren't necessarily worthy of my energy anymore. Um, and I've just been learning slowly but surely, like not to have that, or I check, I do checks and balances. So right. I question myself before I do things, is this something you really want to do? Cause you want to do it and you know, it could help, you know, benefit this person in the process, or is it something you're doing? Because if you don't do it. Your fear is that they will walk out of your life um, or that they'll leave you or, you know, even working like you know when you when i like for me dealing with like my sexual trauma i didn't really realize the fact that a lot of my sexual experiences i was completely detached from my body like Absolutely. even to the even to the point where and some of this stuff maybe stuff i blocked out of my memory because even when i i remember losing my virginity this is gonna be very transparent when i lost my virginity um when i remember my friend said what did it feel like and i said i don't know um, i don't I don't know. I remember Glitter was on TV and I was like, oh, I liked this movie and I watched Glitter. So I was completely detached. I, I, I would have sexual experiences and I would not at all be present in the moment at all. I was in my head. I was counting sheep. I was anywhere else because for, there was something that wasn't connecting. And it wouldn't be that the sex was bad. I just was not there physically. You know, like I would be there yeah. for a certain extent and then I would disappear out of the sexual encounter. And as I got older, it wouldn't be every single time, but there would be moments and times where I would just not be present. I'm doing it not because I want to do it, but because I want to please him. Um, and, and part of that is trying to remain in what you thought was a safe space. And so mm -hmm. what happens when we experience trauma um, with sexual trauma, physical trauma, emotional trauma, there is a part of our brain that changes. And we are not able to do anything but think about survival and safety. Our amygdala is, is like firing like crazy. That's a part of our brain that thinks like, let me just keep my body safe. Let me keep my mind safe, my heart safe, whatever it is. But mainly we think about, our brain thinks about our bodies. And so if we have been sexually traumatized, we know what that feels like when we're not safe and what we had to do in that moment to try to regain some safety. So feeling absent or removing yourself 
from that experience is how you did that. It's just that you hadn't learned yet and you're currently learning. We're all on a journey of learning. You hadn't learned in some of those earlier sexual experiences, what other behaviors could I engage in? One, to teach me how to experience safe and sex in a safe way, but also when I am feeling triggered, when I am feeling safe, knowing the unsafe, knowing the changes in your body and then how to voice that to your partner so that you can access safety without the sexual part attached in order to make the sex better. The mm -hmm. same thing ha happens when we have caregivers, parents and or grandparents and or adult caregivers that we have been traumatized by. A lot of times people think trauma is like, oh, you were in a horrible car accident or you saw someone killed in front of you. Yes, that's traumatic. But let's not forget that we just all lived and are currently living through a pandemic. Mm. People lost jobs. People lost loved ones. That's traumatic. What happened in your body at that time? How did your body seek safety? What behaviors did you engage in? A lot of what I have seen is an increase in people who are experiencing feelings of depression and anxiety. And what that shows as a result of the trauma that they've experienced, right? And that shows up in a lot of escape and avoidant behaviors, drug use. Let me get drunk. Let me get high. Because I can escape having to be in my body and experience that unsafe feeling as a result of trauma. Let me be around people who are going to give me attention and validate me in a way because I need that attention and affection um, and validation, but attention doesn't always come in a positive way. It mm. can come in a negative way. So in my work that I do a lot with kids who are within the juvenile justice system, what I have to train some of the clinicians who work with them to understand is that this child comes from a very traumatic environment and their behavior has been reinforced in a negative way. Let me explain that even further. If you are a child and the only time you hear your name called is when you're in trouble mm. because somebody wants to um, verbally reprimand you or scold you or call you to them so that they can beat you, that's the only form of attention that you know. That's the only form of validation that you know. One of the gurus that I learned from, she told me a long time ago, when you work with children, children need to know that their name is safe in your mouth. And it's something that I share in every training that I give with clinicians and professionals and parents. But it's so true because if our kids begin to associate their name with things that are unsafe or caregivers that are unsafe and that's all they have, that's what they'll continue to do as an adult. And so we have to make sure that we're giving our children spaces where they know that they are safe, that we give them positive attention and validation and affection so that when they become adults, they don't only seek the, let me be with somebody who's going to talk to me in a certain way because that's love. And that's how we hear it, right? Mm -hmm. People who are like, oh, well, if he, he, if he don't do this, he don't care about you. That's not, that's not it, honey. Mm. And it's so funny. Um, this was probably in December or January. Um, for people who don't know, I do work with uh, 
the youth still in different capacities. And I was sitting at a desk and the kids were talking about something. I, one of the girls had blocked her boyfriend, uh, something like that, something to that capacity. And then the other girl was like, well, he didn't try to find another way to contact you. And then she was like, uh-uh, that's why it's over because he don't care about me. And I'm just like, but you blocked him, sis. And then she was like, but Ms. Johnson, X, Y, and Z, and no, he's supposed to find another way and da 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 da. And I said, no, he's not. I said, one, if you blocked him, I'm assuming he was doing something that you needed to protect yourself from. So you should be, you know, not maintaining your own boundary that you're putting in place. Or and and two, that's not healthy. So if you blocked him because of something he didn't call you back or something like that and you're trying to teach him a lesson, that's not healthy. That's that's gonna be looked at as a very toxic, you know, scenario. And you know, teenagers be like, Oh, here you go, Miss Johnson, you always coming. We over here just talking about X, Y, and Z and you coming over here talking about it's it's uh, what's toxic and what's healthy. We ain't trying to hear all that, you know. <laughs> I talk about healthy food and healthy relationships with them and things like that. I'm always out healthy, healthy, healthy. And they come with no toxic, toxic, toxic. Like they'll, they'll sit there and say, Ms. Johnson, I'm, I'm toxic. I'm just like, that's not cute. Well, come, no. Can I talk to you? Can I talk to you for just a little bit longer? Um, and it, it's such a, a mindset thing. You know, working with teenage girls, I've seen, and I'm talking about girls specifically because boys, of course, we know also have, you know, their own trauma that they also endure and the things that they feel they need to do. I work a lot with teenage girls and a lot of times, like I remember when I worked at a high school, um, I caught a girl giving oral sex in the bathroom, right? So the boy zooms out of the bathroom. I mean, he zoomed out so fast, I cannot tell you what he looked like. Like, wow. he, I was like, oh my gosh, so, like I didn't expect him to leave that fast. So the girl is left kind of collecting her items and her things, trying to you know, walk and she at that point I'm so I'm standing so close she has no choice but to walk slow and just try to like kind of walk like yeah I get it and I was just like let me talk to you. she didn't want to talk she was walking past me so I started talking to her back as she was walking and a lot of times when I have conversations with these girls or if I'm talking to them or if I feel like I'm talking to a wall sometimes that happens too but a lot of times you know with with the girls that I I'm around or I'm seeing it a lot of times their idea of attention is coming from sexual favors, right? Giving sexual favors to young men or receiving them are really, and rarely actually, I don't, they don't tell not receiving them. They're not receiving them. Like no. they're giving and the guys are like dipping or telling all their business in the streets. And they know a lot of times that this is happening. It's coming back to them. I remember one time I was absent. Students told me one of the girls in the class had put a jacket over her head while the substitute wasn't paying attention and started to give oral sex with the circle of students around, but just put a jacket over her head while she did it. And, and, and let me break that down to you from a behavior analytic way. She was receiving all of that validation in the moment. And it was a negative type of validation, but it felt good. It was negative because she was getting attention for a behavior that was not anything that was constructive or positive or edifying her body or her soul or her spirit. So that is how we look at what is negative attention and what is positive attention. And when people have that, that that's the only kind of food you have ever eaten in your life, and that has been what is sustaining you, you don't even know how to figure out what is positive, what is constructive in my life. And that part of your brain has been shut down. So you have to engage in different behaviors to help that part of your brain regulate things that I'm big into, and I know you are too, mindfulness practices, breathing, mm -hmm. 
actually changes your brain chemistry. Doing things like exercising, my exercises of choice are running and yoga. It changes your brain chemistry so that part of your brain is better able to emotionally regulate and move from that safety. Like it's almost like a survival brain is what I call it in training to, okay, now I can be in a learning brain. My brain can be open to what I might need to learn how to do differently to access positive forms of attention, positive forms of validation and building me up so that I can make better choices. People mm -hmm. who have experienced trauma because of that part of their brain that's been changed, they have such a hard time making good choices mm -hmm. and, and having great judgment. And then trauma shows up in our body in different ways too. Another um, fact, people who have experienced trauma are three times more likely to have negative health conditions, detrimental health conditions, mm -hmm. irritable bowel syndrome, you can't go to the bathroom. You got all kinds of stomach issues. You have eating issues. You um, eventually later in life could develop things like diabetes and high blood pressure. Mm. That's where the ACEs study comes in. Um, adverse childhood experiences. If anyone who um, is on the listening to the live is not aware, look it up. Look up the adverse childhood experiences questionnaire. It's 10 questions. You can do it online. And you can look at the research around it and the scores, how they correlate to later physical medical health conditions. That's why it's so important to find those behaviors that you can engage in that help you deal with and combat the trauma that you've experienced so that you can begin to change your brain and heal your body. Because trauma stays in our body. And that was one of the things that we talked about last time. It stays there in our cells. We have to figure out a way to release it. I did, um, you know, I'm into all types of spiritual practices, so this may not apply to everybody. I did a um, sound bowl healing, right? And what they do, they take a sound bowl, which looks like, for those who have never seen it, it looks like just a metal bowl, almost like something you would eat cereal out of, but it's really, normally really pretty and it's metal, or, and it's like plated gold or something, and there's like a, a baton or something, and it makes a sound right it makes a sound and it like dings it's really pretty normally they have big ones small ones and what he did was he like looked at my chakras and he used the sound bowl to realign my chakras so as he was sitting there going through the sound bowl he was able at the end to tell me you know which chakras needed work and i already knew going in at the time i had a lot of stress going on in my family as i was like i had just become a caregiver um there's a lot of financial issues going on there was a lot of just me fussing at people going on and um i knew i said my, i know my root chakra that grounding chakra that chakra that's supposed to be for safety i said oh, that baby that said that thank god yeah chakra don't exist on my body and he was like your root chakra and your heart chakra and my my sacral chakra which is of course your ability to feel free and creative i'm saying this for anyone who's not familiar with the chakras um and my heart chakra of course would be like that love chakra right that feeling loved and being able to give and receive love like those are the three chakras right that were messed like they he said they he said they need some you jacked up he was jacked they, up they need some work. So finding um, different practices that you can use. Um, I want to touch on something because we're talking a lot about, of course, um, and you've mentioned a lot about like the behaviors that you see that exist in children. And a lot of times, you know, 
those behaviors are results of different aspects of trauma. And I want to actually touch on, for anybody who's a parent or a teacher or even a guardian, I saw a video posted that someone posted on social media, and the mom or the aunt, whomever, her son had been having behavior issues. I don't know if it's in the house, at school, you know, you don't know too much context. But she was like, you know, she called her son, she said she got a badass son, we got a badass son, you know, and they, they think you can't put them in the jail, you bring the jail to your house. And she put him in the closet. It was like a walk-in closet. She put a, there was nothing in there but a bed and a couple items of clothing. The bed had sheets and stuff on it. And she opened the closet door. He's in there and she was pretty much asking him questions. And she said, what's your inmate number? Um, yes. <laughs> she asked She asked him, what's, it? what's your inmate number? He said a number. He had like literally, like he, like he hand-washed. I don't know if he actually hand-washed it, but he had like, pair of underwear, some pants and whatever else hanging um, and not hanging on a, a hanger, but like hanging like he had threw it over the, the top part of the closet. Um, and I was like, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's going to get you the result that you want, ma'am, um, to actually call it a jail. Now, once again, I'm not certain like, you know, what the re like what he had done. And honestly, it's still a, a, a very big step to not even just one, you're putting him in a closet. There's no windows in there. Um, and then on top of that, you talk, he has an inmate number. Where was he going to the bathroom? Um, I'm assuming he could leave the closet for the bathroom. I'm assuming. But there, I know she specified that there's no outside time. It was just school and that he had to do his homework, everything in there. Once again, don't know the full context, okay? But, right, what do we... For parents, because some parents are at a loss. I'm not going to lie. As a teacher, I know I've encountered parents who I call and I'll say, hey, listen, um, you know, I'm having some issues with John and John is, you know, doing X, Y, Z in class. I just need to know what I can do. And I've had parents tell me, you do whatever you need to do, Ms. Johnson, because I, 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 I did too when I was in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And it, then it's just like, well, what you what you mean? Do whatever you need to do like they spent like whatever you want to do that's your child that's pretty much what they were saying and then in this case scenario with the video right where we're seeing this parent you know put her son in the closet once again don't know the context i don't know what the child did the child seemed very humble in the video uh, he said his number it's very meek um and what do like how do we how what what are your suggestions to parents who may feel as if they're at their last, I guess, wits end when it comes to dealing with behavioral issues with children, right? Because there are parents who really, they're frustrated, right? Um, their kids are acting up in school. The kids are also at home and they literally feel like they don't know what else to do. What would you suggest in that moment? And also, I just want your commentary on the video in itself. <laughs> so much to unpack here. So suggestions to parents who are dealing with challenging behavior. Let me start there and then we'll come back to the video. There are four reasons that we do anything that we do. People who are behaving good or people who are behaving badly, right? And let's talk about children because that's what was in the, the example and um, most of my experience has been with children. Children do things for one of four reasons. One, they want to get attention, whether it's positive attention or negative attention. We have a lot of control over that as caregivers and parents in teaching them what is the type of attention they want to seek. 
remember attention is positive if that's when you are doing genuine relationship building rapport building things with your kids having conversations with them talking about what their interests are hey um i noticed that you if you're a teacher i noticed that you have a new shirt on today just general things right negative attention is anytime we attend to a behavior that we want to see change or decrease so every time we verbally reprimand every time we redirect every time we say to a kid you bad you, you bad that's negative attention that's one reason I, I say that I, I put that out there because we're going to come back to that again it's so important to me the second reason kids do anything is to gain access to something in their environment they want something tangible right they want the video game they want the shoes and i'm thinking specifically about kids when you have kids who engage in challenging behavior because they know it's going to get them access to that thing guess what you've done you've reinforced it and mm -hmm. in the classroom i know you and i have seen this a lot kids are wilding out they got the newest jordans they got money they got jewelry they got the freshest clothes they got what leverage do parents have if they're mm -hmm. still if their kids no, if I turn up enough, then I'm still going to get that thing that I want. Another mm -hmm. example, in the work that I do in the Department of Juvenile Justice, many of these children have experienced trauma. Mm -hmm. They will tell me when I go see them, it's almost like a jail facility. This kid has torn up the whole entire building. I'm talking about breaking windows, ripping TVs down. They tell me I'm going to crash out. I'm going to crash out, Miss Robin. Then I know they're going to give me what I want. And then what I have seen is that kids crash out, but then you get Popeye's chicken dinner for the next week because the mm -hmm. staff is trying to appease you so that you don't do that again. It happens in family homes too. Mm -hmm. Parents need to be aware of these types of relationships between triggers and behaviors and then what happens after the behavior, which is what a behavior analyst looks at to see why kids are still doing that. The third reason is because they don't want to do something. I don't want to do this work, so I'm going to rip it up at my desk and throw it on the floor. I don't want to do this work, so I'm going to cuss you out because I know you're going to send me out of the classroom, and that's going to delay the time that I have to get started in doing that. The same thing happens in the home. I engage in behaviors to escape things. I hate washing dishes. So if I see a whole bunch of dishes in the sink, I could tell myself, oh, I'm going to go sit and watch you know, catch up on this show that I wonder what I'm, I'm avoiding this thing that is aversive to me. Mm -hmm. As parents, when we have challenging behavior, we have to look at all of those variables around and first figure out what do we think is the reason why we're engaging in those things. So I said, attention is one, tangible or gaining access to things is one. The third is to escape or avoid something. And then finally, the fourth is a sensory reason. It feels good to my body. Mm. It feels good to, to how I process things through sight, through smell, through taste or touch or, or sound, right? And so we typically only see those behaviors in kids who might have um, a, a developmental disability diagnosis, something like, mm -hmm. like autism. But we also see it in kids who've experienced trauma mm -hmm. a lot. Kids who... Um, hey, Tylana, kids who um, engage in drug use mm. and the drugs makes them feel good. Adults who've experienced trauma who emotionally eat 
That is a sensory maintained behavior. It helps you feel good. So the first thing parents need to do when they're dealing with challenging behavior is they have to figure out what is the reason behind and a professional like a behavior analyst or a behavior technician can help you figure that out. I would recommend a behavior analyst um, and then develop an intervention plan around it. About the video that you said you saw. Yes. And for those who don't know, who just tuned in, I saw a video. The, the mom, aunt, whomever, had put, they said that she had a badass son who kept acting up. So she Why do we tell our kids? Why do we say that about our kids? No. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, it says she had a badass son. Um, she said, you know, and if you got a badass child, this is what you do. And she put the boy in the closet. It was a walk-in closet. Put him in the closet. All he had in there was a bed. And he had his, like, she called him an inmate. She said, inmate, what's your inmate number? And the boy recited some six or seven-digit number. And then she had, like, whatever his his underwear, whatever it was, literally, she had it or he had it hanging up as if he was really in a jail cell. When I say hanging up, I don't mean on a hanger. Like, he flipped it over the um, the closet rod, okay? And, you know, she continued to say that he was acting up, and the only time he was allowed out, right, just like in the jail, was um, for, I forgot, whatever, whatever, something like going to school and maybe to eat or use the bathroom or something like that. But outside of that, he was pretty much in solitary confinement which studies have already shown solitary confinement is horrible for, for individuals and our prisoners. Um, but yes, and the boy did not look older than 15 or 16 years old at max, at max. So he's a teenager or a preteen. Wow. I, I have a lot of thoughts about that. Um, and I'm always going to bring, bring it back to behavior. We are always teaching our children. Mm -hmm. We're always what was she hoping to teach him in having him confined to a room for 20 plus hours a day or 15 plus if he went to school? What was she hoping to teach him? She was not hoping to teach. She was hoping to punish. Mm -hmm. And if kids have already experienced some level of trauma, remember trauma doesn't have to be that you were beat or that you saw someone killed in front of you. It could be having a lack of resources. A lack mm -hmm. of access to resources can be traumatic a lack of a solid foundation through solid parenting can be traumatic. Someone who is un emotionally unstable parenting you can be traumatic. And so her decision to take him and to confine him and treat him as if he was incarcerated, that's another form of trauma as well. My, my mind just goes to what was he learning? He was learning that I don't have a safe adult in my environment, if this was his mom, that can help me learn what I need to learn and help me process what I may be dealing with. They don't really know why I'm behaving the way I am. So the proper interventions have not been put in place for me. And that's only going to further traumatize the child. That's not mm -hmm. teaching him how to emotionally regulate. You're in a survival mode half of your emotions are shut down mm -hmm. so that video I, I don't i've heard of things like that i actually my first my very first client that i ever worked with it was a little bit different because he was on the autism spectrum and he engaged in some behaviors that were different things like um pooping in his hand and smearing it on the wall 
that's just okay. one of the things that I've seen in my career. His parents, because they did not know how to deal with him, put him in the yard in the doghouse with their pets. So by the time I met this individual, he bit people all the time. I, got a, I had a chunk taken out of my shoulder right here by this person. I was 19 years old in college, my first time in the field, right? Um, but he had learned that as a result of the trauma and having to survive with animals because that's where he was placed. And when a child is placed in solitary confinement, you got to figure out how to survive. You don't know when your next food is coming. You don't know when you're going to have sunlight, which is very healing to our body, or the ability to move, which is very healing to our body. Your brain and your body goes into survival mode. She was further traumatizing him and teaching him survival behaviors, not how to emotionally regulate and transcend through some of the trauma so that he could learn functional and appropriate behaviors. Mm. So let me ask you this, and this is for the adults who might be watching. Um, and I kind of told you this um, earlier, but so for like for my transparency moment, you know, now I just turned twenty nine, right? And I've been doing self work and self healing and spiritual advising and sound bowls and beaching and everything else, right? And yachting. Hmm. And yachting. And yachting, normalizing luxury <laughs> in my life, right? And um, now that I've been doing all of these things in the past year, two years, um, one of the things that has come up has been, of course, you know, you think back to your relationship with your own parents, right? And there's no such thing as a perfect parent. Like, I'm very much so aware of that. A parent's never going to be perfect. However, I've noticed and I'm, I'm going to say my family, which is people of color. And I've noticed when I talk to other people of color, uh, sometimes this is a, a universal thing, right? But a lot of times when issues arise, it's swept under the rug. And my, I'm not a sweep it under the rug kind of person. I'm a, let's talk about it, because I, I feel like we need to discuss this so it don't happen again kind of person. And a lot of times, like, I've realized I've come to this point in my own personal life where... I, if we're not going to talk about it, then how I interact with you has to probably change. Sounds uh, like boundaries. Yeah, I have to set some boundaries. Now, the thing, and I've been talking to like a few of my friends about this, is how do we as adults who have experienced certain trauma or experienced certain things that, you know, we would like to release out of our lives, shout out to the full moon tonight, great time to release, right? But we want to release these things out of our lives. How can we potentially one, talk to our parents. And for anybody who's a parent or a guardian, auntie, uncle, teacher, whomever uh, on the line that you work with children, so this applies to pretty much almost everybody if you work with kids, nieces, nephews, um, how do we also prepare ourselves for moments where we might do something unknowingly and inflict trauma? It might be something we said, something we did, right, to prepare ourselves. Because the thing I'm noticing is that, one, talking to your parent, as an adult and saying, hey, you know, I want to talk to you about some of the things that happened to the kid. Some parents are, are some parents will shut down. And, you know, right. becomes, well, I did this for you and my parent never did that for me. So in their mind, they did right. Okay. And then at the same time, as an adult, how do you prepare for people or your children or nieces, nephews, whomever to come to you and potentially tell you, like, when you did this, this affected me in this way. And I'm aware of that now. Because both of those are necessary conversations and i feel like we're getting to that point where 
I see parenting changing for some people. They're having those discussions and letting their kids know it's okay for them to have boundaries. I didn't necessarily grow up in that era. <laughs> nope, <laughs> to where I didn't just, either. You know, hey, I, I don't, you know, that's not okay with me. And it was respected per se. So how do we get there? So when I think about the parents that I've worked with, that they have inflicted trauma, right? I think every adult who interacts with children needs to first understand what trauma is. It's not, like I said many times already in this talk, it's not those things that we think of like a car accident or seeing someone killed in front of you. Just simply having a lack of resources or being around someone who is an emotionally unstable person who's supposed to be your caregiver and supposed to protect you not doing that. That's the most simple way I can put it. And our body does not have the, the, the means or, or, or we're not able to process that. So that can be traumatic. We as adults have to first understand what trauma is. Mm -hmm. The second thing, particularly with our community, we got to accept that, yes, that we did that. A lot of times we think it's okay because our parents did it and our grandparents and our great grandparents. And, but we have to accept that this is something that we did. And this is this person's voice telling their truth. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that you're a super bad person. It just means that you did the best you know how to do. I hate when people say, oh, you got some badass kids. That's bad. He bad. I hate that. I don't believe there are bad parents. I don't believe there are bad kids i believe that there are people who lack skills my job is to teach skills how can you do or be something that you have never seen mm -hmm. how can you do that you can't you have to learn how to be a better behavioral model if you haven't had that model then you need to educate yourself go to therapy figure out what that looks like what that sounds like and begin to engage in those behaviors. So for people who may be caregivers in any capacity, that's what you have to do first. The next part, if you are a person who has experienced trauma and you're ready, you've been in your therapy, you've been talking to people, you're ready to go, you've been even finding what those things are for you that you need to set boundaries on or you need to address, it's never too late to address it. When you get ready to go and talk to that individual, you need to go with the understanding that they may not know what trauma is. They may not be ready to accept and or hear what, or not what, but how I have been impacted by what they have done to me. So go with that understanding, but also be fully ready to speak your truth. It doesn't make them bad or worse than or less than. It doesn't make you bad or less than or worse than. Less, less than. Um, the functions, I go back to the functions of behavior. If I'm a parent and I am a parent, my children have told me things that I have done to them that have impacted them in a certain way. We, my husband and I, are trying to parent differently than how we were raised. And sometimes it hurts when they tell me things because I think I'm doing my best. I have to sit back and think like, well, one, I'm glad they told me, but if they weren't willing to tell me, what would the reason be why they wouldn't be wanting to tell me? Maybe I've shown them some type of behavior that makes them think I'm not ready to listen. I want to escape, avoid, or delay, right? I don't like that. 
So I'm going to do something like yell at you, cuss you out, hit you. We have to understand the reasonings behind behaviors, even when we are on the other end and we're getting ready to confront and talk to someone. And even if we look at it from a different angle of not confronting, but just stating your boundaries, my bound, this is what happened to me. This is how I made it feel. And because of that, this is why I can only talk to you about these certain things. Mm -hmm. or I can no longer give you money. I just had this conversation with my husband last night. I can no longer entertain or give you the attention for conversations about things that are hurtful to me. Mm. You need to know how this affects me. And so I think if we tie it, continue to tie it back to the reasons or the functions behind our behavior and understanding them, that will help us be able to better facilitate the conversations that might need to happen. Sometimes I think that there needs to be a time period where you just don't talk to that person about that until you have done enough of the emotional regulation work that you and I talked about to where you are fortified and you're able to talk to them in, not in an accusatory manner, mm -hmm. but in a very much matter of fact manner. This is what happened to me. This is how it made me feel. This is how it's impacted my life. These are some of the behaviors that I engage, and I know why I did now. This is why. And now, as a result, these are the boundaries that I'm setting. Mm, that's good. That's good. So for all those watching, and this is probably my final question because we're going to get into the rapping part, the fun oh, part. I'm not a rapper, but I used to be in a rap group in college. You used to be in a rap group? Girl, girl, it was, it was, it was so, um, yeah, anyway, yeah, they were the rappers. I was just there because I don't know, my name was Chocolate Deluxe. That, I mean, you know, Chocolate Deluxe, Chocolate Deluxe, girl, you better go on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my final question, um, on this part of the topic would be for those who are wanting, and this is. Um, I guess on both sides, but more so from the adult perspective, those who are wanting to, you know, have those conversations, you say, you know, maybe not engaging at first until you know that you're ready. How can people know that they're ready to have these type of conversations, whether it's with their parents, right, about the things that happened to them as a child and they're now older or you know, whether it's, you know, with their own children or nieces or nephews and they want to make sure that they, that they start to open that door, right? To say, hey, you can talk to me if I offend you. Because people will say that, but at, as humans, naturally, when people start to tell you that you did something wrong, you know, we get defensive or it hurts our feelings or, you know, and that like, you know, little people pleasing me, you know, someone come to me and tell me I did something, especially if I know it was not my intention, I know my feelings be hurt and not trying to take away from their moment. I have to suck it up, but I have to deal with my feelings after. So, yeah. Um, first thing, are you still engaging in some of the problematic behaviors? Some of those behaviors that you want to see change? Because if you are at the same rate, if you've not made any change, you're not ready to confront that person. Mm. You're not ready to have a conversation because you haven't healed the part. You don't understand yet the part that is causing you to engage in those behaviors and what still may be present in your life that's maintaining those behaviors. That's the first part. 
the second part is, is that person still engaging in those behaviors? Mm -hmm. We still could be in relationship with our mama, grandma, auntie, daddy, uncle, cousin, sister, or brother, and they're still engaging in these hurtful behaviors toward us. And so that is something to consider. A lot of times as we age and as we grow, when we become adults, we don't always, those things don't always continue. There mm -hmm. was a period of my life where I experienced sexual trauma as a child. And I, when I got to the point where I was no longer in the company of that individual, many years later, I had to decide for myself, am I ready to talk about this with that person? And mm -hmm. I decided that it was not something that I needed to talk about, but something that I needed to continue to focus on healing for myself. It's not going to always be a conversation that's appropriate or necessary with someone who's traumatized us. Mm. That's something to consider. That's not always appropriate. It's not always what's necessary to get to the next step of your healing. I strongly advise everyone, seek a licensed mental health counselor to help you process that trauma and that pain. If you are a caregiver, or if you're a person that wants to understand your behavior on a deeper level, a more concrete level of actionable change that you can take. Make sure you consult with someone who has a background in applied behavior analysis and trauma, a board certified behavior analyst and or an LMHC that understands cognitive behavioral therapy. That's gonna be key for you. You have to understand the, re the reason why, the, the connection between your thoughts and the feelings that they lead to and then the ultimate actions. And that's cognitive behavioral therapy, but in the applied behavior analysis world, we talk about antecedents or triggers, specific behaviors, and then maintaining consequences. You have to understand that relationship before you can begin to implement interventions. And mm -hmm. so that's what I would recommend. That was good, girl. You, you've been talking to me. <laughs> you talked that, right? Like, yeah, Greg, you might like to. I might not need to have that conversation. You're right. So, I mean, what is it going to benefit you? What would it benefit you to have that conversation? Nothing, especially if the person is still going to engage in that behavior anyway, or they're not ready to hear that conversation. And I can't make them ready. You can't yeah. make them ready. Only thing you can do is focus on yourself and fortify yourself. Understand the why and understand how those behaviors show up in your life, the impact of that trauma. And then begin mm -hmm. to change from that part. Mm. Let me write my notes. <laughs> so before we get into the rap part, we all about to get in the rap and mimosas part, you know. Oh, love. I've been sipping on my little seltzer, my hard seltzer. It's like two or three or maybe five percent alcohol. I'm coming down from a nice weekend. So how can people get in contact with you? If they decide they want to get in contact with you before we start rapping, how can they get in contact with you? They want to work with you. You may want to contact me before we start rapping, because once I start rapping, y'all might be like, dang, she whack. Um, <laughs> do, I do have to say that I'm a music lover, so that's how I was a part of a rap group in college. Um, I found this, this group of boys. They were, they were the, not the athlete boys, they were, they were the artsy boys at UCF. Um, and their rap group was Skills Foundation, and I just always hung out with them. We all listen to music, we vibe. 
Um, and that's when I became Chocolate Deluxe. But anyway, sidebar, if you want to contact me, you can follow me at Simplify Behavior. That is my professional business page, S-I-M-P-L-I-F-Y, Simplify Behavior. Um, I'm a board certified behavior analyst, like I said at the beginning of the conversation, have been for 21 years. Love talking about all things challenging behavior, racial equity, um, trauma, autism. That's my jam. So that's what I like to talk about. Um, yeah, find me there on Instagram. All right. Well, we about to start rapping. Oh, boy. Yeah, let me see if you can. Sorry. Let me. Scream. Pause. Let me see if you can hear this part right here. Can you hear it? I hear it. All right. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. I'm Go ready. That's how old I am. Oh, this is gonna be fun. My husband told me I need to practice. All right, let's do it. <laughs> to all the ladies in the place with styling, Grace showing up, put together with a smile on your face, but it's okay to not be okay. To be correct. Blip, 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 blip. Step back. Rewind selector. Okay, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> Thank you, girl. Okay. I'm your hype Trust man. You. Thank you, hype woman. Hey. Okay, we're gonna do this. You got it. You I got it. You. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> To all the ladies in the place with styling, grace, showing up, put together with a smile on your face, but it's okay to not be okay, to seek out some help and do more than pray. And when I say seek help, I mean professional, because crime shows up in your ways so many ways. Your initial reaction might be left in the haze, numbness, sadness, all type of confusion, anxiety, agitation. You might even feel delusional. That's all I have. Okay. All uh, right. <laughs> you did good. All right. Let me see if I can. I didn't write nothing. Oh, okay. So I had to see. write, girl. No, I listen. I need to write. All right. Let's see what I can come up with. You got something. You got something. Come on. Oh, my goodness. Fit, 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 fit. It's another rap and mimosas, and we here vibing. My girl Robin. Yeah, we sliding. And you know that we got it. We over here talking about mental health. And we be rocking. And we rolling. And you know, ain't nothing if they ain't trolling. Uh, that's all I got. Because it's the end of the show. But we stay on top. Hey, and I want to say, yes, done. Because you know that she do it the best, done. And we over here uplifting people. Seek a mental health counselor as you need. You know. Ain't gotta be greedy. You know I got the friends. If you're feeling needy, hit me up. I got the counselors for you. All I gotta do is show support for you. Hey. Hey. That's it. Hey. That's it. <laughs> we lit. I love you. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for coming on. Instagram is starting to count down. I want to thank all my, you know, people that's watching. Guys, yeah. please subscribe to my YouTube. It's in the link in my bio. This live will be up for the next 24 hours. I will be deleting it after that. 
Okay, thank you guys. Remember, Simplify Behavior, at Simplify Behavior is her login. And let me wrap it up before Instagram cuts me off. Rapping mimosa, these bars in the holster. Pouring up with drink, put my name on the poster. Women who can rap, make you come a little closer. Step out the whip, drop a tip to my chauffeur. You guest on my list, champagne's by my hips. It's time to get lit, yeah, I know what it is. It's time for rap, 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 for rap and mimosas. Thank you. you, thank you, Robin. I love you. Bye. You're welcome. Love you. Bye, guys.